1: A true rags-to-riches story, it's found here in the book of Galatians, going from a slave to being a son. We'll talk about that next on Truth For Today. Hi there, and again, welcome to Truth For Today the ministry of Valley Bible Church in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. Today, we return to the book of Galatians and this one truth that Paul sets out in front of us. We're no longer slaves. We're sons. We've been adopted, accepted into the beloved. We are now sons and daughters of the King, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that puts us on shouting ground. Let's talk more about it, shall we? Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today.
2: Jesus was not a soberness. He could run with women and paid visits to women, that everything under the laws said he was a dirty, filthy man. But here is God in flesh who says, a fallen woman at a well is worth looking up, and I won't be contaminated to show her mercy. Christianity ought to set us free from racism, uh, gender bashing. It ought to set us free from, uh, uh, do you make a lot of money or are you poor? Uh, Well, once they tell you they're in Christ, watch out. Because if they don't have money, you may have to feed them. And it really doesn't make any difference in status, does it? You don't have an upmanship because you got a Ph.D., You can't get any elevated, any higher than saying, I'm in Jesus. I'm in Jesus. And he's up there. So, something happened so radical in Christ. Now, by the way, the women still have the babies. Thank the Lord. I mean, you know, what he's saying here, don't change the men and women's bathrooms. Let's not go to unisex. The distinctions may still exist down here. You may not own the company. You may work for the owner. That's okay. That's right. But he's saying it makes no difference to God. Your real status before him is, you're in my son. You're clothed with him. I'm going to treat you accordingly. I'm not going to treat you by earthly standards, male, female, racial, and economic status. No, you're in the one that's beloved, that makes you beloved. He says in verse 29... You have become Abraham's seed, not by circumcision, but by being in Christ. In Christ, I have become related to Abraham. For Abraham has a family that's not just racial and genetic, but a spiritual family that has been begotten by people who have believed God, and God has counted them righteous. So he says, you're related, you Gentiles, you're related to Abraham. Now you call him your father, for in Christ you got into the spiritual line. Now, he's going to begin in chapter 4, and he gives an illustration that's foreign to us because he um, uh, is going to tell about how they treated people under Roman law, and he's comparing it to being under the law of Moses. He's saying that uh, the Romans and the Greeks and the Jews had different ways of bringing a child from being a minor, a child, to being given adult status. Kind of rite of passage. Uh, Rich and I were talking about this, and I think what Ted tried to do in his senior high group, he tried to have a, some celebrations where they got the boys away for their dads, and that you're, when do we start treating the children like adults? Or when does the raising change a bit? Some homes, maybe never. But the Jews had bar mitzvah which is, in Jesus' time, about age 12, you became a son of the law. The Greeks uh, had a ceremony that it happened uh, March 17th each year, and it uh, was usually done when a boy was 18. But the Romans did it a bit different. They um, celebrated it, and it was a time, uh, and pardon me, I said the Greeks, it was the Romans that had this March 17th date, they would do this. A dad would establish the date that he wanted his child to be treated like an adult because up to that time he was under slaves who were his teachers, his guardians. Uh, They would take him. They would even be severely uh, disciplinarian. They could spank. Uh, They had rule over this young child that maybe he's the heir of the father. Someday he's going to be in charge of the whole place. But as long as he was treated like a minor, it was, he was no different from the slaves. He was under rules. He was disciplined. All of that went on. But at the time appointed by the father, and that date was March 17th each year, they had a festival called, in Latin, Liberalia the day of liberty. And on that day, the childhood toga that had a blue ribbon that they had right here on the bottom of a miner's toga, on that day, you would take off that toga and they would put an all-white toga, which was the toga viralis. It's what it was called in Latin, which was the robe of an adult mature son. And they'd have a big party. They'd bring it out. And the dad would say, today we no longer call him Johnny. From now on, he's John. From this day forward, you slaves, you teachers, you guardians, all of you who've had oversight of him, you're, you're fired from that job. He now will tell you what to do. Because he now is graduating. And he says, in Christ Jesus, God has brought us from being treated like minors under the law. Rules, disciplinarians, to the status of fool sons, and he used the word adoption that you have some. It means to be placed in front of all as an adult. And this is what God is saying: in my family, you get adult privileges, all of you. I don't have you under elementary principles. I won't talk down to you as a minor. You've always been stupid. You're you're under age. You don't know what to talk. No. I place you forward, get rid of all the guardians, and say, from now on, the only one over you is the Father. And you come to me. if you need anything? Now, notice what the Father does at the time he liberates you. And this, for us, is the moment we were placed in Christ. Notice what he does. He said, in verse 5, Christ came, redeemed us who were under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, here's a tough passage. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. When did you get the Spirit? Same time you became a son of God. When did you become a son of God? The moment you put faith in Christ, right? He sent forth the Spirit into our hearts. And the Spirit calls out. And in the Greek, it's a loud cry. It's a strong word. He cries out. It's not a whisper word. It doesn't say he talks. It doesn't say he whispers. He, He cries out loud. And the Spirit in you, what he cries is Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word, which was a sister language to Hebrew. The Palestinians speak Aramaic. It was the Aramaic word for child talk, dada, basic elementary syllables that an Arab child would make. It's what Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. He said, Abba, Father. He used that very Abba. He said, the Spirit's been put in you to underscore a relationship to Yahweh, the God of Israel, that they did not even pronounce the name, and they did not try to write it all. When they came in translations, they would omit where it was Yahweh, and they never dared try to say the name upon fear of capital punishment. Now... We who are in Christ aren't stumbling around trying to know how to call God. Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah Rapha, Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, all of his Jehovanistic names. Guess what? The first day of a Gentile believer's life in Christ, the spirit starts crying. Call him Daddy God. Daddy and in the Greek, this is why I cannot explain this verse. It's a present tense. This, the Spirit, is doing all the time. Now, if you read Romans 8, 14 through 16, it says there, the believer is crying out, Abba, Father. And there it says, we are not been given the spirit of slavery that leads to fear again, but we've been given just the opposite spirit. The Holy Spirit that says, you now call God. Abba, Father, which means the New Testament name for God, for the believer, is Father. Abba, what does this mean? Under the law, there was guilt. Under the law, God made Sinai burn, and they had to put ropes around it to keep people from trespassing and getting killed. Uh, People are still trying to figure out what Yahweh means from Exodus 3. Go tell them, Moses, I am that I am has sent you. And we still have definitions going all over the place. What does Yahweh mean? I am being that I am being. Well, after you've said it, do you understand it? No. It's a great theological definition. But guess what the Spirit is doing now that you're in Christ? He has given you a word of intimate relationship. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, gave me a great handle on language. He said language is characterized by three eyes. Three eyes. Information, imperative, and intimacy. Let's take information. A child grows up. What's this? What's that? What's this? Book 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 book. What's this? Chair chair. Good. He's learning. That's all language of information. Data. What's that? Flower. Oh, it has got it. Good one. And then you really want to learn the language of imperatives. Don't. <laughs> Do. Go. Stop. Wait. And so most of our language is information and uh, Imperatives. There is the language, and Peterson develops this, of intimacy. And he says there's only uh, two places that adults wind up using it. Childhood, when you're a child, or when you're the father or mother of a child. Courtship, and then we lose it. And he goes this way. Uh, In childhood, you can see a Ph.D., Playing over a crib with their child, and you think, can't you talk any better? Said, you know, you know what? Vocabulary is not what I'm trying to communicate. I'm trying to communicate affection. I'm trying to communicate on their terms that daddy is uh, wants their fellowship, approval, or we're having. And the child, I mean, and you just watch parents. You just got to go. And the child finally says, "Oh, he's got it." Got what? I just think he said, "Dad, I love you." So, man, where did you get all that in that? Once a time, once a while, my grandchildren—the one that goes—have them say it to grandpa, and the other said, "Da, da, 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 da. And I, I look, said, "Isn't that precious?" What did he say? But it's okay. It's okay, isn't it? Because it's intimacy. We played a game around here one time, uh, married couples. I think we disbanded the game. But uh, we found out names of guys and gals in courtship that was, in, I mean, they were crazy. Monkey toes. Uh, they, they, we had more crazy names. And he said, man, isn't that corny? It is so corny. Uh, I used uh, the courtship name that I, uh, when I was dating Carolyn, I, I named her Rebecca. Because I was reading Isaiah, uh, rather uh, Abraham and Isaac, when he wanted to get a wife for Isaac, he sent Eliezer that I took to be the Holy Spirit to get his boy a bride. And when he found a bride, it happened to be Rebecca. So I always told uh, Carolyn, I'm her Isaac. She's my Rebecca. So Valentine's always says, to my, Isaac, to my Rebecca from your Isaac. Well, that's so corny. But please don't laugh. It's really sacred. Don't make fun. Who cares? See, if it was something real, like monkey toes, I wouldn't even tell you, but this sounds spiritual. I want, I want you to know how spiritual I was thinking, even when I was courting, Carolyn. I was thinking in biblical terms all the time. Lip lock, hug, smooch, you know, that kind of thing. And so you got that going and so in courtship hey honey baby I love you and you talk on the phone and you just kind of breathe and slobber on the phone you didn't say anything but man we feel close feel close you went to sleep my Rebecca stayed broke on her phone bill when she's dating Jason he was down south get that phone bill it was outrageous what did you say I don't know but oh it was so wonderful I I know the phone company thinks it's wonderful it's corny but it's intimate. And by the time a child got old enough to come into the room and his first word to an Arab father was Abba. Abba. Did you know it can light up a man's heart? Daddy. Mama. From that day on, you know their PhD material. From then on, the heart melts when you hear that and I try to figure out what this means in my walk. McGee tells that Wilbur Smith came into his room when he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And McGee said when he was at the church at the open door, he'd gone to that hospital thousands of times to visit saints that were sick. And he'd tell them, I'm praying for you. You'll get better. Take home. Get courage. But he said, I'll be truthful. I was scared to death. I was petrified. I didn't want lung cancer, and I didn't want to die. And I was getting all these letters, oh, don't worry, McGee, to be with Jesus is better than to be here. And he said, don't be praying for me. Shut up. I want to keep going. But he said, when Wilbur Smith prayed for him and left that room, he said, I turned my face to the wall and cried like a baby, saying, oh, God, take this cancer from me. And he said, but all I could say was, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is in you constantly, whether you do it or not, or whether you know it? There's someone. Did you know the Spirit groans in you? And he makes utterances too deep for words because he intercedes for you when you've gone mute and you don't know what to do. And when you don't know how to be theological or brilliant on the explanation, guess what? He cries out, But I'm your child. I come to you on the basis of not theology, but upon relationship. I never in my life called my daddy Lawrence. That was his name. Lawrence John. Larry's named after him. And wishes his daddy would have dropped the Keith and put Lawrence John and made him a full-named child after him. I've never had my girls call and say, Philip. If they do, they're out of the will. <laughs> you know why? All of you folks call me Philip. I've only got three that can call me dad. Only three people on the face of the earth that can call me dad. And I like what they're teaching the grandchildren. They call me Papa, so I get both, both beautiful little terms. My grandchildren call me Papa, the girls call me Dad, and it seems to always produce a benefit. When you come to God, he's sick and tired of his children trying to impress you with anything but that they know him. I was reading the life story of C.S. Lewis last night, a new book out by InterVarsity Press, that Lewis, his mother died at nine, Flora, she had the greatest impact on him. She died of cancer young And his dad was a thoroughbred Welshman, which was sentimental, emotional. And as he would say, he had ups and downs in his emotional makeup that were unsettling. And then he became a drunk. And when that happened, he was terrible to C.S. Lewis and his brother. They sent them to boarding schools in England that were terrible. And Lewis says, I believe every boy that gets warped in life. Loses the affection of his father at a young age. To not have a father in the formative years who brings affection, who brings acceptance. You know, it's so the dearest, I, I think, when I think of my childhood, my dearest memories of my dad is me crying in the night with bad hips and surgeries that I've had through the years. And him or my mother coming to my crib as I slept in the crib because I was in braces until I was five or six because they didn't want me to fall out. And to see this old iron worker tired come in there, rub my hips and pray over me until I went to sleep. Or meeting him at the tracks and him picking me up. Little simple stuff. Always getting candy for us. Always whistling. Every time we got in the car, he had a tune. It wasn't Georgia, Bye Bye Blues. It was some hymn. And God wants you to get an image of him. That's not Moses and the law. It's not guilt. Not broken rules. It's son, I've got the fattened calf already killed and I've saved the best robe for you. Since I could robe you in nothing better than Jesus, I robed you in him. And at this table, I don't care how crippled you've been. I don't care how much sin you've done. I don't care how low you've gone. I can cover it in Jesus. I can cover it. And then he says, I'll treat you like an heir and not a slave. Are you aware what's coming? Did you know... You won't believe what heaven's like. You think this is all there is to it. Did you know what? The reason you're getting arthritis and why all of us folks over 60 talk about what pill we're on, God wants you to get sick of this world so you'll get lonely for that world because that's where we're going. That's permanent. That's permanent. And that, I don't care about the premiums there. There won't be any. You can't. But this is just the dressing room. And in the meantime, call him Abba father and when you don't the spirit will he cries it i've been backslidden before as a christian it was only eight or nine months but the most haunting thing is to live with a spirit that keeps crying when you've stopped i stopped praying i stopped wanting him i stopped coming but i couldn't shut him down he yelled, he yelled in those meetings, I'm your father, I'm your father. Why are you running away? Don't run from me, son, run to me. And oh, what an easy sweep he made in my youth. And I finally fell in his arms, and I've been there ever since. What about you? Are some of you running from the father? Your garments of your moral life are dirty. Your mind might be dirty. You might be soiled with sin. I want to tell you the righteousness of Christ and the atonement of Christ is thick enough to cover you even today. And it ought to make you want to say, Abba, Father, I'm sorry that I bring shame on your name. Would you wash me? Would you pick me up? Would you start a fresh work? And because he's dead, he'll always say yes.
1: And that will conclude our time today here on Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules with our teacher and pastor Phil Howard.